Our second reading this morning is from the book of Job, the 12th chapter, and it's also found in the middle of the bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. But ask the animals and they will teach you, the birds of the air and they will tell you, ask the plants of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Holy One has done this? In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. Here ends our reading. My grandfather has been on my mind this week. A preacher in the Foursquare Pentecostal tradition Instead of preparing for sermons, he would go fishing on Saturdays, something that always irked my grandmother. (laughs) He'd hitch a boat to his truck, take my father with him into the Rockies, and sit in the quiet on the water. And when it was time to come home, inevitably my grandfather would become too tired to drive, so my father who in the stories told was perpetually 12 years old, (laughs) would drive the rest of the way home. I always heard that story as part of his mischievous lore. I didn't pick up on its poetry. But ask the animals and they will teach you, the birds of the air and they will tell you, ask the plants of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Gratefully, we human beings are not the only ones charged with teaching and nurturing. Creation does much of the teaching, much of the nurturing as well. Hymns of praise are filled with images of the earth and sky. Rushing rivers, thundering mountains, and green pastures are often at the forefront of telling of well-being and justice, as well as of chaos and destruction. And for Job, his friends are in need of a reminder course about the realities of life and of God, and they need look no further than to the animals, the birds, the plants, and the fish to teach them. As a child, I stored up disparate memories of my grandfather that I was never able to sew together. A preacher of fire and brimstone, and a quiet gardener. My grandparents' house was like a museum, with fake grapes and a bust of David, music boxes and painted photographs, an oversized golden-edged family Bible, and a faithful grandfather clock. In the basement was my grandfather's office, a small room with a big desk, a squeaky green leather chair, and bookshelves filled with fishing tackle. He was raised on a farm, or perhaps better, the farm raised him. From a young age, he and his twin brother were put in charge until one day they caught the prairie on fire and burned down the schoolhouse. (laughs) 
as an adult, he was what we refer to today as a tent maker, which is to say he had a side gig in addition to his work in the church. When he wasn't making hospital or home visits or attending to the church business, he was visiting farms, vaccinating and treating livestock. As his granddaughter, I never consciously considered the way those two worlds might have been woven together. The church world and the world of animals and fish and prairies. I was afraid of my grandfather, the preacher. I didn't understand God in that context. And I believed that meant God and I were like oil and water. Too afraid to tell my grandfather, as I knew how important it was to him, that I knew God. I had to keep it a secret that I didn't know God, that I was unable to know God, even though I tried. But my grandfather, the farmer turned gardener and fisherman, I trusted him. The grandfather who spoke about earthworms and soil and about birth and dying as normal parts of life was my friend. The grandfather who spent hours in the quiet on the river and who let me sit beside him and share the quiet was my teacher. In an interview by Krista Tippett with Zen priest Angel Kyoto Williams, Williams talks about the incompleteness of the truths we carry. As a child, I was very aware that I only had snippets of my grandfather, and I was unable to weave them together. But I still tried. I interpreted those snippets to mean all sorts of things about him, about God, and about myself. Williams reflects on our desire to know and to be known, and though that feels safe, she observes it is also confining. We are more complex. Exploring how we might move toward well-being for ourselves and for the world, she suggests that we might choose the uncomfortable bit, uncomfortableness of unknowing ourselves, of being curious about our narratives, curious about our feelings of shame, awkwardness, being put upon, disempowerment, the mixed messages, things that don't agree with each other, times when we don't agree with ourselves, observing the interpretations we fill our minds with, What's ours? What's someone else's? What belongs to a collective group of people? From that, from choosing the discomfort of unknowing ourselves, we can develop a capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be who they are and to allow ourselves to be who we are. And this spaciousness, she says, is love. There's a little girl who lives next to me. She's probably two or three years old. 
I often run into her and her mother when they're out for walks. They're usually stopped in odd places, next to a mailbox, or in the grass between the sidewalk and the street, any place I would be leery dogs might have been. The mom is usually quiet, standing or sometimes sitting on the curb, clearly trying to be patient. And the little girl is fully enamored with something she has discovered on the ground. The mom once explained to me that her daughter loves tree bark, so she just lets her enjoy it. The little girl in me is so grateful to that mom for that, for that spaciousness. It floods me with memories of primal joy, of reveling in grape hyacinth near my childhood mailbox, and in peeling apart layers of mica collected from the neighbor's yard, of corn from the garden, sweet and buttery, of sitting on the warm front walkway quietly playing with roly-polies, which David tells me is a Colorado thing, and earthworms. Earthworms my grandfather used to talk about. One of the interpretations of my childhood that I have long held is that I was alone a lot, quiet and alone, and that that was a sad thing, a story about being a little sister and not very interesting to play with. But this past week, I realized that was only part of the story. I was alone in quiet wonder a lot. And when I was in wonderment, I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel sad. I felt at home. Freed from one narrative, I began revisiting others, those that I have been retelling myself over and over again, many with hurt or sadness attached. One after another, it was like the scales falling away. And in their place, was that spaciousness. And so it was with my grandfather. Complex, not fully knowable human being that he was. And though he may not have intended to, I realize now he was showing me a way of knowing God that I could understand. For quiet wonderment, was attending to the holy. I trusted my grandfather, the farmer turned gardener and fisherman. So I sat with the earthworms as though I were sitting with him, sharing the quiet in communion, listening to the river in prayer. In the basement was my grandfather's office. A small room with a big desk, a squeaky green leather chair, and bookshelves of fishing tackle pointing the way. But ask the animals and they will teach you, the birds of the air and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. 
Llewellyn Von Lee and Hilary Hart write, the earth has given me more than abundance and nourishment. It has also brought this joy, sweet and buttery, I had never expected. A simple primal joy that is a remembrance of life. So I will sing praise to God every day of my life. I will adore her as long as I live. Amen.